Foreign exchange student, huh? Yeah, yeah, German foreign exchange student. Pretty That's cool. pretty cool, yeah. That is neat. We thought about doing something like that uh, back in the day. But yeah. We, we ended up doing foster. Does, does he say, your country is so weird, oh my goodness. <laughs> he's uh, he, he's he wanted to see if the gun myth was true. And <laughs> Which myth? Yeah, yeah, the the one that we all have guns, and then he the house he gets, the family he gets, just happens to be somebody in the gun industry. So it's <laughs> right? like it's blown out of proportion. Yeah, yeah, people have guns, but you know, every person, every person has guns, Here. but the guy you got stuck with has just happens to have a whole bunch of them. Meet the pressers with Matt Mallory and Clint Macrow. Brought to you by Public Safety and Education and the Trigger Pressers Union. And now, your hosts. Welcome to Meet the Pressers with Clint Macro and my co-host. Oh, me, Matt Mallory. Good to see you. And we've got a special guest, a friend that I've just recently got to know, but definitely have been uh, sharing ideas, going back and forth and talking, Mr. Aaron Childress. This episode of Meet the Pressers is made possible with the generous support of thelawofselfdefense.com, Nikon, Shooter Technology Group, ASP, Sabre Red, the Safer Faster Defense Responder 2.0, and Lee Armory. Thank you. Hey guys, thanks for having me on. Thanks for coming on, man. It's been good. The the, the uh, bearded wonder. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about yourself, your background. Uh, Marine, right? I don't hold that against you because I was Army. I mean, you know, we're fighting for the same country. But go ahead and tell right. us tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, you know where you came from and uh, your 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 claim to fame. Uh, so, uh, yeah, um, Marine Corps uh, Infantry did that from 01 to 0526 Golf Company. Um, we we're stationed out there in Lejeune. Uh, prior to that, you know, from uh, grew up in Houston, Texas, and then uh, high school age from Wichita, Kansas, went in the Marine Corps after 9-11, um, did that, got out. Um, after I got out, I became, actually became a college baseball head coach, did some college baseball stuff for a while. About 2012, got back into the veteran world. Um, started, uh, started getting involved in a lot more shooting, a lot more hunting, uh, then eased my way into the gun industry, uh, around that time. So I've been kind of in the gun industry and, and working with brands, working with, uh, manufacturers. So I work a lot in media around guns and outdoors and just the fun stuff, the things that go bang. I'm around them all day. In fact, I'm doing a pretty cool video today with a couple guns. Thanks to Brownells. You're doing a pretty cool video right now. Uh, yeah, I am actually. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Texas, so that that mean you're a Hollywood Marine, or they send you to the East? No, um, two things on that. I'm not just regular Texas. My family invented Texas. So if you look uh, it up, George cool. Childress wrote the Declaration of Independence for Texas. So I'm not just like regular Texas. I have some ownership there. So when we talk Very about cool. Texas, I'm gonna get real personal. That's awesome. But, uh, my dad was a Marine. My fa- uh, my my granddad was a Navy corpsman, and they were both East Coast. So I got the grandfather clause, and I went to Paris Island. Oh. But I was supposed to go to San Diego. I didn't know that they had a grandfather. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Tradition's a thing, man. Yeah, absolutely. 
Yeah, I meet, I meet guys from Texas, and many of them are just like you, where you know you're a Texan first, right? Yeah, I absolutely. think that's I think that's something that's lost on a lot of people. Yeah. I'm very proud to be a Pennsylvanian, and and uh, yeah, I, I totally appreciate that, man. I'm very proud to be a, a, a an American, not not a New Yorker. <laughs> oh. oh, that's sad. Yeah. No, I I love New York. I just hate the politics, and it's all driven by New York City. Yeah. New York's for lovers. New York are you in? Uh, upstate, Syracuse area. So you're in the you're in the good part. I mean, yeah. there's a lot of corruption up there, but you're you're still in the good part. <laughs> there's a lot of corruption everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> very very true. So uh, training. What kind of training do you do? Do you do you teach classes? Do you take classes? What, what's that made up of in your? Yeah, I do do a lot of training. Actually, I don't I don't work with a lot of individual courses necessarily because I found that a lot of those courses, you know, they want you to dress in tactical gear and they want you to show up wearing, you know, like the coolest new belt and, you know, what what's the coolest camo. In reality, when I go training, I'll go train with people I trust that I've worked with, served with, or that I know, and we're there in regular clothing. We're there in what we would be wearing when that situation would probably arise anyway. Because I'm not going to be throwing on a battle belt if somebody busts down my door right now. Right. I'm right. wearing sweatpants and a long sleeve t-shirt. I better be ready to go in this attire. And uh, so I do a lot of that. Um, I actually, you, Matt, are one of the one of the originators of one of my training tactics, and that was two years ago when we uh, when I was in Dallas and we and we met, and I went and bought the smokeless range system cool. after I talked to you. And we have it actually in our house and I work with that. Now I get that's a dry fire system. What I do that with that is I work throughout the week on dry fire uh, just to maintain fundamentals. Also, I have a lot of different guns and I'm always getting guns in, guns out. And before I go blow through hundreds of dollars on the on the range with ammo, I want to get familiar with the firearm mm -hmm. and actually have it in my hand. And, and I get the recoils not there, but I need to get familiar with that gun. And so I, so I throw a little laser system in there and just get used to pulling the trigger, get my eyesight correct on it, my sight picture and everything. That way, when I go to the range, I'm already prepared to I've already worked out some of the kinks. Now I can just go there and, and hit it hard with the actual uh, fundamentals. And then, you know, when it comes to tactics and situations like that, there's courses that you can take. There's things you can do. A lot of it is mental preparation. A lot of it is um, what are you doing throughout your day? You can go take all the classes you want and, and go spend a weekend, spend $1,500 one weekend on courses. But if throughout your day, if you're not planning, if you're not keeping your mind sharp and your body mm -hmm. sharp and understanding what's around you, what could be a threat, if you're not watching the headlines, yep. if you're not understanding that, there might be a situation coming up soon because there's maybe there's protests in your cities. Maybe mm -hmm. there's stupid things going on right now. Um, if you're not watching that stuff, then you're there's no point in spending $1,500 a weekend on training courses if you're not mentally prepared. Yeah, no, that's that's a very valid point. The, the nice thing about being able to get that gun down, if you take the known to the unknown, kind of that mentality, and if you think about a vehicle, when you're going to first drive a vehicle, you don't just hop in it in the middle of the street right? And start driving. You don't get in the middle of New York City and start driving the car. No, you get in it, you get yourself familiar with where everything is, the radio, yeah, most people, the radio, right? Radio, turn signals, wipers, brakes, pedal, all that stuff. Yeah, I mean, even the brakes and the gas have a little bit different 
feel between vehicles, too much brake, too little brake. All right. So same kind of concept with that gun. So dry firing, getting used to it, getting the feel of it, knowing where the magazine release is, because that varies based on guns is pretty crucial. You don't want to figure that out while you've got a, a gun in your hand with ammo. You're trying to figure out how the Crimson Trace laser turns on. And I've had students literally start to do this and put their hand in front of the gun to see the laser. I'm like, stop, stop, stop. I didn't want to go stop and have her go and then point the gun at me. So I, I picked my battles accordingly, you know, I was, yeah, there is something to be, there is something to be said about like throwing someone in a pool and making them swim. But I don't think uh, defensive training is the place to do that. Right. Once folks have a, a, a familiarity and a comfort with their ability to handle the firearm in a safe manner, then they'll, that'll breed the confidence for them to then go ahead and start training. And I, I think the throwing them in the pool is when we start to have them train in context. Yeah. So get them into a holster, get them in, you know, working out of concealment, ultimately get them moving laterally, get them doing all those things as opposed to maybe crawl, walk, run in that regard. Yep. But the, the, the familiarization and the comfort to be able to handle the gun safely, I think needs to be there first. I agree. This is Michael Sedini with Walk the Talk America and you're watching Meet the Pressers with Matt and Cliff. Meet the Pressers. After April 19, 1775, Lord Percy wrote back to his colleagues in England. He wrote about these people he commonly referred to as peasants and rabble, these American colonists. And he said of them, there are men among them who know well what they are about. After learning this piece of history, I started to reflect on myself and thought, hmm, do I know well what I'm about? I try to discover that daily and reinforce what it is that I know. I love to exercise the rights that were given to me by God and guaranteed by the Constitution of the United States and fought and won for by the people that have served this country in the military. From all of us at Meet the Pressers to all of you who have served our country, thank you for your service. Now, back to Meet the Pressers. Do you care, about, care to talk about the, the uh, road rage and red flag? <laughs> Red flag's been a big thing on our on our show quite frequently over the past uh, couple months. Yeah, yeah, we can talk about it. And, and there's more to the story than just that news article. There's two times in my life I've been red flagged. And I think we should talk about both of them because I think one is a situation that could have been avoided. And one is a situation I think we're about to run across a huge Pandora's box. Mm. And uh, so let's talk about the article. Okay. The article that was uh, written... You know, uh, a lot of different groups wrote that article. It made national news when it mm -hmm. came out. It had an individual chase us with his vehicle, wow. and he followed us. He was using his vehicle as a weapon, um, in my view. That's what he was doing. He was using it to uh, come up close to us and try to uh, change our course of driving. I viewed that as an attack. So what I did is I tried to get him into a, a situation where he was on camera. I knew that the lows, which I was going to anyway, had closed circuit television um, on the outside. So I got him into that situation, got him in there, and then actually pulled into a spot thinking he would drive by. But when he didn't drive by, he actually pulled himself and disabled his own vehicle because where he was at, he could no longer drive. He could only back out. And at that point, he hopped out of his vehicle to come after us. And then I hopped out of my vehicle and said, sir, you need to back, you need to back off. Nobody wants this. Please get back in your vehicle. I did have a firearm. I didn't use my firearm. I didn't use it as a tool. It was just noticed. He noticed that I had a firearm is what it was. And, uh, it was never a situation where it was pointed at him, but that was what caused him to stop. 
he saw it and he was like, whoa, this is a bigger situation than I thought it was mm-hmm. going to be. He stopped, backed off to the end of the uh, back around his vehicle. And uh, we were already on the phone with 911. My wife was was already on the phone with 911. So then he proceeded to call 911 and say, oh, this man has a gun. He's crazy. And uh, whatever, you know. And, and so the police arrived. And when police arrived, they stayed off because they thought there was this, this standoff. Right. They thought there was a standoff going on and, and there really wasn't. There was never anything like that. And, and uh, so they came and questioned both of us. And when they came to me, they said, you know, hey, we're going to talk about, you know, what went on. And I said, this is what happened. I told them the whole story and they addressed it very manipulatively. They, they came and talked to me about how I was the victim. They treated me as the victim, as somebody, a victim of road rage. This guy followed us. They were like, oh, he shouldn't have done that. Yeah, this is a bad situation. Um, okay, you know, we're going to go talk to him and get his story, which they had already been talking to him while they were talking to us, two, two separate officers. And so they convened, came back, and they said, yeah, I mean, you know, he's saying something different than you are, but what, all we're going to do is we just need to make sure that your gun was not fired. Um, that It's just protocol. We just want to make sure your gun is not fired. You have a problem with us doing that. And I said, I don't have a problem, in, you know, making sure it wasn't fired. It wasn't fired. You can go validate that right there. And uh, he said, okay, you stand right here. And I was like, wow, you know, I want to watch the search. And he said, no, you stand right here, Um, which right there was a huge uh, issue with me. Um, I wanted to be able to see the search of my vehicle. Yeah. So, so he, he did not allow that. In fact, told me to stay in front of the vehicle. And then when he came out of the vehicle, my firearm was in a different condition than I had left it in. Um, It was in a different, uh, it was not how he had actually disassembled it. Um, which would out of my view, which I was again, uh, not happy with, uh, considering no crime was committed. I was the victim and he disassembled my firearm out of my view. I don't know what he did. Did he break it? Did he, it's my personal property. Right. You know, yeah. did he break it? Did he, did he take my firing pin? I don't know. Um, and I, and I got in, in no answers because he didn't walk back to me. He, he walked over, had it in his hand, walked over, put it in his vehicle and drove off. No receipt, no, gave me nothing. Wow. To say that I was going to not get it back. I thought he was just looking at it to see if it wasn't fired. You can tell firearm was fired, you know, especially within the last couple of minutes. I mean, yep. it's going to look like it. It'll and, smell uh, like it. Yeah, it'll, it'll like smell it. like it. The whole area, there's going to be a spent casing somewhere. Right, right. You know, so none of that. And he didn't even come back and talk to me. He just left. And another officer walked up to me and this one was a little bit more aggressive. He said, all right, here's what we're going to do. We are going to begin the investigation for you for aggravated assault. Um, on this individual because you used a firearm. I was like, well, I didn't use a firearm. He said, well, you said, he said you did. Well, all right. So they take it. Um, they allow that guy to leave after all he's done. They allow him to leave. Um, hmm. uh, they talk to us, say, we're going to begin the investigation. You're not under arrest at this point. We are beginning the investigation with a detective. So, okay. You know, I was pretty upset. Uh, we ended up not going to Lowe's. Because after that point, we're ready to go. So we hop in the vehicle. Again, I have my two small children and my wife with me. We hop in. And then this individual who had already done all this was waiting down the road. And he began to follow us again. And he followed us again. He later claimed that he did not follow us. He later claimed that he had a job to do down the road. But you know as well as I do, if you just had a run-in with a cop and involved the cops and you – put yourself in the same position. You put yourself next to the person you were just involved in with, with an active investigation. Yeah. That's bad juju. Don't it do sounds that. like you were the job. 
Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So he uh, followed us again. This time we called the cops. They went after him. I believe they went and arrested him this time. Um, he was not charged with anything. He was let go again. Um, it, we had a couple court cases after that. And uh, in the end, as far as myself and that individual, we decided to let it rest because uh, the issue became much larger with the police department locally at that point, because now they were charging they were going to be charging me with uh, aggravated assault, which is not a small penalty. No. Right. And, and uh, you know, now I'm looking at my job, my career, my career is in the firearms industry. I'm done. I'm absolutely right. done at this point. And, and uh, this is a career, a media career that I built for 23, 24 years. And in the last 10 years have been almost specifically outdoors and firearms related. I'm watching it all go up in smoke for a situation where I felt that was right. And law enforcement today came on board, wrote an article. Uncle Sam's misguided children wrote an article. Dina Latch reached out. Um, she was, this was when she was still with the uh, NRA at that time. And she reached out and, and uh, it was, it was a big, I knew it was about to blow up because all of a sudden I had a lot of people finding me on Facebook, finding me on social media. I knew this was becoming a big deal. And basically what they said was they said, because this individual claimed that I was unstable and angry and had a firearm, that was grounds for them to confiscate my firearm. Now, all these red flag laws came about now, not long after this, where it became a big talking point on the news, yep. you know, but they didn't really, I don't think people understood that red flag laws, though they are big in the news right now, they've been around for a while. Sure. They've actually been around for a while. And this is Kansas, constitutional carry Kansas. This mm -hmm. happened in. And because of one person's account, they didn't care what I said. Right. They took my firearm. And about seven days later, the detective in the, in the PR department or Wichita Police Department called me and apologized and said, you know, we realized that, you know, he tried to explain why they did it. You know, he tried to explain why they did it, but they're, you know, explaining it to somebody who believes the Constitution means that I can, as a civilian, have tanks. So I wasn't hearing his explanation at all whatsoever mm -hmm. when he called me to say, well, it's just protocol. I mean, protocol violating my Fourth and Second Amendment rights. I don't think so. Right. So um, I had a real problem with that. And so the individual and I, I don't really care about that individual anymore. Whatever. Go do your thing. My issue is now with local government. Mm -hmm. You took one person's word and you disabled my my ability to protect my family and not 15 minutes later i was in the same situation again with the chance that i can lose my family because of you as a yep. government official using red flag laws to endanger my family so where did it go from there where are you right. uh, that was in april right back in april yep that was in april the situation with the individual is done i'm not worried about that guy anymore you know we've we've run our course with that situation when it comes to Wichita police department that is ongoing Hello, I'm Kevin Arias with Guardian Personal Defense Training in Oswego, Illinois, and you're watching Meet the Pressers with Matt Mallory and Clint Macro. Meet the Pressers. A few years back, I had uh, I had gone through a divorce. I was going through a divorce. My, my ex-wife and I had been separated multiple times um, over about a course of two years, and we had just tried to work it out, and it just was not working out. And uh, we finally just uh, got to a point where we were just not happy with each other. And we had a night where we were very angry with each other. And 
nobody there was no abuse or anything like that it wasn't an abuse situation it was just we were both angry with she was leaving with the kids i mean put yourself in that position where your kids are now being taken from you at you know 9 30 at night and and we were she was angry i was angry she left and uh you know through the whole situation there was a lot of uh a lot of just anger and i was very upset and the police actually came that night and they actually came after it was all said and done and uh ended up taking me to the va they took me to the va <laughs> not jail they took me to the va because they had had a report that i was an endangered veteran and, uh, and this is what i really want people to hear right now when i say endangered veteran because since 2012 the veteran community has been very big on you know, go check yourself into the VA, get help, you know, reach out, go to, you know, if you're, if you're struggling, go talk to somebody. Right. And I think this situation was so damaging to the veteran community. And at this time I was actually filming a TV show that was uh, a national TV show. And so my social media went to a lot of people and we actually tried to not tell this story back then because we thought it was so damaging to people who were trying to seek help. I sought help in 2012. This incident happened four years later. Four years later, after this, after I had sought help at the VA, as I was instructed by all the veterans, um, I'm now being taken to the VA because I'm an endangered veteran. And I go, I do, I run my course there. I, I'm, I'm locked up in the VA in the in the ward up top um, because they want to run me through psychological eval. And I passed it. They ended up after about. You know, it was it was a while. I was in there for a while. Like they didn't believe me. They didn't. They were like, "No, you got put in here for a reason. You should be here." Well, after uh, like many many days of testing, um, I can't remember how long I was in there. It was over a week, I believe. But wow. after many many days of testing, they were like, "Okay, you're right. You know, you don't, you know, you don't belong in here. This was a false report, or a uh, it was a report from somebody that said I was an endangered veteran. That's what it was. And so I was in. I was locked up in there for a while. So I get out. And I go back, you know, of course, I lost everything, lost the house, lost uh, my vehicles, lost my kids. And, uh, you know, thankfully, I've been able to gain a lot of that stuff back. Actually, I have a great relationship with my ex-wife now. So does my current wife. So it, that all was restored. Family, kids, everything, everything was restored. But one thing happened after that. It was, it was huge for this red flag debate. And that was I was the court finally decided they wanted to do something. So I got called into court. And they wanted to talk about this situation and they wanted to talk about everything. And they said, we think that because in the past you have made an indication that you needed help, we think that you should undergo psychological eval. Which you already did. Which I already did. They made me yeah. go again. I had to go again. This time I had to do the VA. I had to do workplace counseling and I had to do civilian counseling. I had to do three and I had to pay for all of it. I also <laughs> had to go to a class for how to handle it wasn't an anger management class at all. It wasn't that, but it was how to handle situations. I had to go to the class. I had to pay for that too. Jeez. I had to pay for my court fees. I had to pay for everything. We're looking at $40,000. I had to spend wow. And I'd already lost wow. my house. I lost my job because of this, because my employer, who was a government employer, actually found the court notice on my desk one day at work. They can't say it legally, but I got, re I got relieved of duty the next day. And, uh, you know, legally, I don't think they can say that's why it was, but I was relieved of duty the next day. So I lost a, a $70,000 a year job, um, because of this situation. So not the 40,000 I spent plus the 70,000 I lost, um, fighting this. And 
when it all boiled down, when I was going to take this class, I went in and did the test for this class for whether or not I was going to have gun rights. Now, gun rights comes into this play because at this point, my gun rights have not been removed. I go take the test and they, and they interviewed me and they said, look, you did great on the test. You passed everything. You answered everything correctly. Um, you know, it looks like you're, you're fine. And I passed all the psychological evals. Uh, two of the actual psychological uh, evaluators, the psychiatrists actually wrote in, not only did I pass, there's no reason for me to be here. This was a, a waste of their time. They enjoyed talking. They actually were upset that I was leaving because they had great conversations with me. Um, they were upset that I was ever in the process to begin with because I'm mentally sound. So I'm, I'm in this meeting with this class. This is the class to decide what's going to happen to me. You know, this is the interview. And they say, you passed everything. You passed it. However, in 2012, you are, uh, we have it on record that in 2012, you checked into the VA because you had concerns. And I was like, yeah, I did at, in 2012. Again, this is you know years later, and they said, "Well, on those grounds for you checking in, we have to recommend that you are part of this program." And I said, "You know, what does that mean?" They said, "Well, it's a one-year program, and you will you are not allowed to drink, you are not allowed to own or have or hold firearms, and uh, you will come to class once a week, and you will pay for that class." And so, once a week for for a year, I went to this class, um, and I had to pay for it. It was, it was hundreds of dollars. I think it was like 20 or $30 a class every Monday I had to pay while also keep in mind while this is going on. I haven't repaired my relationship with my children. So I'm in my ex-wife, I'm actually paying for uh, supervised custody visits as well. And it, it, at a uh, building where I'm monitored, I can't have a phone. I have people standing over watching me while I hang out with my kids and I'm paying for that at about, I think it was $50 for every hour, you know? So I'm going through the money, just hand over fist, which is absolutely worth it when you're talking about my kids. This class I have to take is not worth it. And uh, so finally, after a year, I pass everything. And after one year, I get my gun rights back. So I lost my Second Amendment rights for an entire year based off of being an at-risk veteran because in 2012, I checked into the VA. Well, what makes that? <clears throat> excuse me, what's more diabolical than the limitation and restriction of your rights and what you had to endure, but the law of unintended consequences means that everybody that has heard that story is going to be less likely to seek treatment and seek help when they need it because of the stigma attached to people getting mental mental health uh, you know, assistance or, or uh, advice or screening, right? Treatment. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why we muzzled the story at the very beginning because when that first happened, I was doing a TV show that was actively asking veterans to reach out. It was, it was a show where we brought veterans on who had struggled or who had succeeded in their transition from military. And we talked about it, actively talked about, hey, you know, if you're struggling, you reach out. You can call me personally. I, I would sometimes would put my phone number up there on my social media, which at the time was going to millions weekly. And, and I was like, you call me. And, and I have friends now today that were people who called me. Um, because they were struggling and now we're friends and things are great. So we were actively promoting this and now all of a sudden it bit me. Not only did it bite me, it took, it took everything because it was the, it was the catalyst to make me go through all these rings of fire to 
just have my children back, to get my home back, to be able to be employed again. You know, let's not even worry about Second Amendment. I think when people hear red flag laws, like, oh, you won't take my guns away. I'm like, stop. They'll take your guns away and your kids away. They'll take your house away. They'll take Mm, your job away. It's not just guns. If you think it's just guns, you're in for a rude awakening when they come and they take your kids away as well. Yeah, it's scary. It's definitely a scary situation. And, and we're hearing it more and more. We had Michael Bain on back in, uh, back in May on the show. And yeah. we talked about red flag. And, and I'm here and I was just in a meeting the other night with the uh, district attorney for the county and he was talking about it and how it's a good law. And, you know, it's a way that they can use it to try to, you know, keep people from committing suicide. I'm like, okay, so you're taking their guns away, but what are you doing for them medically? And, you know, you take the guns, but don't check them into a medical facility. Just take their guns so they can go stab themselves or, you know, get in a car accident or pipe bomb or whatever. I mean, it's just ridiculous. It's 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 a gun grab. It's a gun grab. It is. It is. And for somebody to say that it prevents suicide, that is the most asinine comment I've ever heard. I have worked in the in the veteran suicide field for many years and, and I am not indoctrinated to the medical profession or what is supposed to be i'm i'm talking i'm working with actual people who have guns in their mouths i'm working with people who are struggling i'm working with people who i've worked with families who lost individuals i've talked to them i've done thousands and thousands of conversations and interviews with this i'm not a rookie and i'll tell you right now if somebody wants to kill themselves it doesn't matter what gun law you think you have they'll find a way if it's a vehicle if it's a rope if it's anything they will kill themselves it doesn't matter if you take their gun away it's no. not about the gun. It's about what led up to the point for them to decide that they should do that. What is the outcome goal of these laws? And a lot of people say it's it's for the safety of the public and to quell uh, quell suicide. And basically what what's happening, because I've heard so many stories like the one you just talked about, that stigma attached to people getting legitimate care yeah. and legitimate treatment leaves them in a no-win situation. They are damned if they do or and they're damned if they don't. And I think these laws, in turn, leave people no option. And maybe then they choose to have that option of, of suicide. Yeah. And so I think by design, it's actually perpetuating the problem that they claim that they want to help address. We're in a design of a, a synthetic life. Our food is synthetic, basically, at this point. Mm-hmm. Our, our relationship, uh, relationships are synthetic. You know, We have online relationships. And when people like our photos, it makes us feel good, mm-hmm. you know? I don't even speak to my neighbors that much anymore. You know, 15, 20 years ago, you knew your neighbors. Yeah. Now I just found out that like one of my neighbors is a veteran and he's also big in the gun world. He has like a friend who does an ammo manufacturer. He and I know some of the same people wow. and he's a house and a half away, you know, he's like right there. And I didn't know that. And he's been living there for two years. The neighbor over here wanted to go hunting for two years. I had no idea because we don't reach out because right. our relationships, you know, I, I talked to, like I just said, I've been talking all morning with one of the writers for law enforcement today. He and I are great friends. We talk all the time. You know, I've never actually met the guy face to face. We talk all the time. He's written an article about me. You know, he, he's the one that wrote the law enforcement uh, today article um, that we referenced earlier. I've, yeah, uh, we've we've met at that article. We talk all the time since then. It, it's but I've never met him face to face, you know, because everything is synthetic. Our food is synthetic as well. I mean, what's the biggest what's the leading cause right now of death? It's not weapons. Isn't it heart disease? Yeah. Yep. Where does heart disease come from? Some of it's hereditary, but couldn't synthetic food have a play in that? Yeah. Preservatives, oh. ad- additives, stuff like that in the food. Yeah, totally, totally can agree with that. Yeah, so it's funny. My, synthetic. My, my neighbor, I blew up tannerite in the backyard. He sold this house and moved in like a couple of weeks. 
Really? Oops, dude, I'd have been out there with you. I would have gone <laughs> to my neighbor at that point. I blew up, <laughs> I, I blew up a, uh, I would have blew up, I blew up a Nike bag with Tannerite in it. Uh, you didn't blow up a refrigerator <laughs> or something like that? With a, no no okay. lawnmowers, no refrigerators, <laughs> no. And I shot it at 255 yards just to make sure that that swoosh signal wouldn't come and hit me in the, in the oh. face, right? Yeah. Boy, so. what, a, what a great transition. We went, <laughs> we went from suicide to Tannerite. <laughs> Tannerite makes the world go around or makes yeah. the world go boom. I think the uneducated person would think that that was a subject that was taboo, but I think if you understand that, you know, Tannerite – you know, firearms, they're all tools. They're not, yeah. they're not the root cause. Well, cool. So why don't you uh, tell us uh, how people can uh, learn more about you, follow you, maybe get in contact with you. Uh, you can, uh, I'm, I think I'm maxed out on Facebook, but you can still go there. Find me on Facebook. Yes, um, I'm one of them. Yeah. <laughs> and then on Instagram, um, I do a lot more family stuff. I don't have some of the funny videos I used to do in the past. I'm not trying to be viral. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm on Aaron Childress, one, A-A-R-O-N-C-H-I-L-D-R-E-S-S, one. Cool. All righty, sir. It's been a pleasure. All right. Thank you guys for having me on. Yeah. Thanks for coming on. Absolutely. Have, have Be a great safe. Day. Stay safe. Let's join Matt Mallory on the range as he test fires a big f***ing revolver. That wasn't that bad. Well, you should have seen the camera. Just shake? A Just a bit. <laughs> just say we got a lot of sponsors to make this show possible right yeah and you, you see the rest okay yeah. we've got a lot of sponsors to make this show possible check them out and give them your business this episode of meet the pressers is made possible with the generous support of the law of self-defense.com nikon shooter technology group asp saber red the safer faster defense responder 2.0 and Lee Armory. Thank you. Thanks for watching the show. Make sure you like, subscribe, share, and click that little bell to make sure you know when our next episode's uploaded. Until next time. Adieu. Meet the Pressers.